What's up, Life Point Church? How y'all doing today? Come on, are you glad you came to church? Man, what a blessing it is to be together. Hey, today is an historic Sunday. History is going to be made, and you're going to see it in just a moment. So you came on a good day, everybody. Come on. Hey, my name is Mike Burnett. I get to serve as pastor of our church, and along with my wife, Stephanie, we are so honored to serve you and to be uh, just able to serve as pastors in this city and in this community. And so I want to say welcome to all of you who are here for the very first time and also those who are joining us through our online campus. And we have two other locations that are watching us by video, one at Austin Peay State University. Come on, winning football team right now. Come on, everybody. That's what I'm talking about. And at the East Valley Dream Center in Phoenix or Chandler, Arizona. So we're so thankful to be one church in many places. And again, welcome. If this is your first time here, if you would take a moment and just text the letters LPC to that number 31996, and we will follow up with you as well. Uh, you can do that digitally or here in the room as well. Hey, I, I always want to say thank you for being a generous church, and, and it may feel like I'm repeating myself a lot, but how many of you know it's good to be thankful and to be generous all at the same time? And I just want to thank you for it. It is the plan of God that the people of God provide for the house of God. And so we're a church that believes in tithing. Uh, not only individually, and that's something that we want to teach you and, and encourage you and challenge you to take that step into tithing, bringing 10% of our income to the Lord. That's God's plan. But also as a church, we practice tithing corporately. Like we believe that 10% of the income of this church is better served by doing for others. And so I wanted to celebrate with you today some of the ways that your giving is making a difference. Here's the way I want you to see it. Every time you give, you're actually partnering in ministry. You're doing something with your, your generosity is going beyond the four walls of our church. We, we take care of the needs of the house. How many of you glad we pay our bills? And on time, everybody. Amen, right? Isn't it good to have a church that pays their bills? Otherwise, we'd be knocking on your door talking about collectors are coming. Actually, uh, pray with me about this because we're, we're praying and trying to figure out if we can aggressively pay off all the debt of this church and be debt-free within the next two years, maybe two to three years, be totally debt-free. Man, wouldn't that be awesome to have all of our debts paid off? And the only one we carry is the mortgage on this building at the Rossview campus. But I want to tell you, as you give, uh, your, your giving goes beyond here. Just a few weeks ago, we had our serve day, which turned into serve days, where your giving helped pay the way to provide meals for all of the medical professionals in our community at both hospitals, also all the EMS, EMT workers, and uh, Premier Medical. We fed their entire staff at uh, all of the locations multiple days in a row, and your giving helped make a way for that to happen. Other doctor's offices in, in town as well. We just want to say thank you and tell those that work medically in our community, we love you, we see you, and we're thankful for you. So your giving made a difference there. Thank you for that. And then this coming weekend, it's a busy weekend to be generous, everybody. Uh, Saturday morning at 8 o'clock, we have again partnered with F&M Bank and Corley Chevrolet to provide uh, 1,500 families with free turkeys and drinks for their families' Thanksgiving. Military families, we're blessing. It's called our Turkeys for Troops. And so if you or anyone you know is a military family, all you have to do when you drive through James Corley Chevrolet, just present a military ID, and we're no questions asked. We give you a, a turkey, some drinks, some other sides, and then send you on your way. There's no need for anything back in return. How many of you love that we give without any strings attached, right, everybody? So that's this Saturday morning at 8 a.m., and your giving is helping fund that event. Also, next Sunday, like Pastor Mark said, we have our Bags by the Bumper, which we're really wanting to be a blessing to the families in Waverly, Tennessee, that lost everything through the flood a few months ago. If you remember when that flood happened, I told you, LifePoint Church is not leaving when the cameras leave. 
We're going to stay engaged in Waverly. We're going to stay committed to, to being uh, partners to that community, and especially through YAPAC and other serve events that we've had. We're hosting our Bags by the Bumpers to provide particularly Christmas toys and gifts for kids that have lost everything. And so as you leave the auditorium today or if you get on our website at lifepointchurch.tv, you'll see the simple list and instructions of how to participate with Bags by the Bumpers next Sunday. And all you do is when you get out of the car, leave that bag behind your car at the bumper. And uh, during the service, that'll be collected and then sorted and given out over Christmas to families in Waverly. So thank you for that, particularly infant and toddler toys, new stuff. Don't be giving them your old stuff. You know what I'm saying? You give the best uh, in this offering, in this gift. Headphones, water bottles, action figures, DIY kits, shoes for your pastor, Barbies and bikes. All those things are listed. Just kidding about the shoes part. And then next Saturday, I feel like I'm doing a bunch of commercials, but I just want to celebrate what your giving is already participating and doing. Uh, we are, how many of you know, we are home of the Austin Peay State University Governor's Football Program right now. They're killing it. They're doing great. They're a winning season. I'm just going to tell you, Alabama don't need no more fans. You know what I'm saying? Florida don't need no more Gators. We need some more Governor fans, everybody. So I'm going to encourage you, if you're not already a fan, come on, get converted. But next Saturday, we have in partnership with Austin Peay Athletics and Convoy of Hope, we are uh, providing these towels. It's a rally towel. It's real simple. Just wave it around your head during the game. And these are $10 towels that we want to sell out. We've got a few thousand of these that are going to the game next week. And 100% of the proceeds, all $10 of every towel will go to provide clean drinking water through our Convoy of Hope Water Initiative that we helped start and is moving beyond. So, hey, if you've never been to an Austin P game, first of all, Saturday at 2 o'clock is the last home game. I want to encourage all of you to come. Buy the towels, buy a bunch for your friends. It's a great golf towel, wet, wipe the spread of your brow towel. It'd be a great hand towel for your guests. Come on, when they come over for spending the night. We want to sell out of these towels and provide upwards of $50,000 of clean drinking water for families around the world. So thank you for your generosity. Every time you give, remember, your giving goes beyond this house through our partners, and we are busy trying to make a difference in our world. Whether you give online, through our app, through, uh, through our website, or through the mail, we thank you for your generosity. Amen, everybody. All right, are you ready for history to be made? Ladies and gentlemen. Let me try that one more time. Ladies and gentlemen. Today's message is scheduled for one sermon. Standing in the pulpit today, wearing black pants, and gorgeous blonde hair, hailing from the Buckeye State, Dayton, Ohio, weighing in at none of your business, standing proud at five feet, three inches tall, she's the mama of my babies, she's the sauce on my ribs, she is the lead pastor with me at LifePoint Church, an amazing leader, and today, a first-time preacher, would you give it up? for Clarksville's own Stephanie Burnett. We're gonna look at God's word and we don't have time for fake. We're just gonna go deep quick. know what to say after all that. Oh, if you guys knew what it was like to be married to him. 
thank you for joining us this morning at LifePoint Church, and it's an honor to get to do what we do. I love pointing people to Jesus. In fact, you guys are what keeps me up at night, thinking and wondering, how can we better equip our church to know Jesus and to make him known to this world? And I just want to say, to serve alongside Mike is definitely fun and an adventure. <laughs> and I've learned so much from you. Um, I know, I just want to brag on him for one second. Of course, we live a full crazy life with four amazing daughters. But to do what he does week in and week out, I believe that there is an anointing from God to do that. You know, he makes it look easy. But let me say, preparing a sermon is not just hearing from God, discerning direction, and seeking out God's word to formulate a timely message each Sunday, which, by the way, is like having a 10-page paper due every single Saturday night. And then preach it and deliver the message with passion and all the while letting it shape him and speak to himself first as the communicator is no small feat. So I just want to publicly say thank you for saying yes to even praying about this job in Clarksville years ago to pastor this church. Because in doing so, I think that the Lord has changed you and I know he has not only to use you to change me, our family, this city and our church. And so I just want to say I love you and thank you for saying yes to God's call. Now, I will say being a pastor's wife is an interesting thing in life. <laughs> you know, so he preaches every Sunday normally. And in the mix, sometimes our family gets in the conversation or our marriage gets in the conversation a little bit. So I just wanted to share one adventurous Sunday. Not that you care, but I'm going to tell you anyways. Um, when he was talking, he was in the sermon series on relationships. And, of course, the message was on sex. And not only were my parents in town that weekend... But two of my daughters wanted to sit with grandma and grandpa, so we're all sitting in service together. And, you know, who wouldn't want to listen to your husband preach to thousands of people about sex? Sitting next to your mother and father and two of your daughters. So, you know, the joys of pastor-wife life. It's a good life, though. But I do want to say, if anything, we should be talking about sex in church because God's design is much better than the world's design anyways. Hello? So he did a great job in the message, but we are not talking about that today. We are back in the book of Acts. So who's ready for the word today? All right. So today's passage of scripture, I believe, is one of the most pivotal transformations of the New Testament. We're going to see a major turning point with the story of Saul. A huge change is about to take place. So if you would turn to Acts chapter 9, my message today is called When Saul Meets Jesus. When Saul meets Jesus. Have you ever made plans to go do something? And of course, you're on your way to go do something. And something happens and you get rerouted. I know last week Mike talked about detours in our lives. But I'm not even talking about a detour. I'm talking about not even a single event, but a life change. Maybe like a career change or something dramatic or drastic. Did you know that most people are working in a job now that they never even studied in or started out doing? Many people go to college, you know, like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a nurse one day, or I'm going to start a business one day, or I'm going to join the military, and I want to be a pilot, you name it, right? We, we try to figure out at 18, no pressure, what we're going to do for the rest of our lives. So who in this room is currently working in a job that you never even trained for? You're doing something totally different. Anybody? Yep. Yep. That's me. I have two degrees in classical piano, by the way. <laughs> Not doing that at all right now. 
But stats show that only 25% of people currently work in a field related to their college major. So, and even here at LifePoint Church, a lot of our staff members, we love our staff here, they did something totally different before coming to LifePoint. We've had people currently on our staff that used to work in business or IT at a call center. They worked at Under Armour. They were a teacher or a hairdresser, musician, banker, of course, soldiers. We even had, we even have a Papa John's pizza maker, Mike. <laughs> But listen, change isn't necessarily a bad thing. In fact, here at LifePoint Church, we are all about change lives because Jesus is all about changing lives, right? But sometimes people don't like change, but it's good for us. And today we're going to look at a story about one man who had a significant change in his life and another man who also had to change to step out of his comfort zone. And this story, listen to this, is so significant in the Bible today that we're going to look at. It's actually told in Scripture three times. So the time we're going to read it right now is going to be through the narration of Luke, who's the author of Acts. The other two tellings of the story are through the words of Saul himself. So to get us caught up on the last couple of weeks, we saw that many people came to Christ through the ministry of Philip. Now, we love Philip. We found out that he has four daughters who prophesied, and of course, we have four daughters, so I'm like, Lord, let it be. But we saw groups of people getting saved in Samaria. We saw individuals getting saved, like Simon the Sorcerer and the Ethiopian eunuch, and they all received salvation. But then after that, we really don't hear about Philip anymore. But the story picks back up with Saul in Acts chapter 9. So I want us to remember real quick, we've seen Saul's name in Scripture before today. And just recall, what is it that we've seen so far? In Acts 7.58, it says that the high priests and religious leaders, they cast Stephen out of the city. Remember, he was stoned. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So Saul was a witness at Stephen's execution. And then in Acts 8.1, it says that Saul approved of Stephen's execution, which tells us he was there on purpose. And then in Acts 8.3, it says Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So we see that Saul's job was to find and hunt down Christians. But how many people know that no matter how bad someone is, that the Lord is still after that person? So here's the first point. God loves all people, even his worst enemies. So let's start in verse 1 of chapter 9. But Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So we see that he's going to Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, now look at, look at your Bible there or look on the screen if, or your phone, the way should be capitalized. So that would be describing um, Christians, but the word Christian hadn't been used yet. It doesn't actually come along till later when they're in Antioch. So the way meaning people who belong to Jesus, followers of Jesus. So anyone belonging to the way, men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So in order to get a picture of what's happening today in this message, this setup is so important. So we see that Saul had been hunting and killing Christians. And now he actually goes to the high priest to get permission to arrest Christians and drag them back to Jerusalem. So it was legal what he was doing because he got permission. So here we see him continuing to ravage the church, which, by the way, ravage means violent actions as, like, used in war. He was a very violent man. But let's also not forget the other part of who Saul was. I just want to paint a picture here, that he was a well-connected, highly educated Jewish man. He was a second-generation Pharisee and a Roman citizen. 
He received the best rabbinic training and secular training in his day. And so far with his life, he was using all that training to destroy the church. So basically, Saul was a highly educated hitman, and he was very good at his job. So there was something in him that drove him to be a part of, of, of this, of finding Christians and having them being persecuted. He was definitely dedicated to this mission. So I think they're going to throw a map up here for you. But Damascus, where he was headed, ah, there it is. I love a good map. Any map nerds out there like me, I'm sorry. Yes, thank you. I love a good map. Look, Mike can have his teaching TV. I get a little map on a Sunday, okay? All right? So Damascus, you can see. So um, Christianity really started in Jerusalem. And um, now because of the persecution, believers had spread all to different regions. And so now Saul finds himself traveling all the way to Damascus, which is in a province of Syria. So this is not a short trip. They say this was probably a six-day journey, 150 miles. Him and his buddies are on uh, probably walking to go up there just to hunt Christians. Kind of crazy. So he got the okay basically to kick in doors and drag out people from synagogues. Isn't that crazy? The religious leaders were allowing him to do this. But this is what was happening. And so, interestingly, men and women, and Saul was just a ruthless guy. Even in Scripture later, it tells us, Saul's own words say in Acts 22:4, I persecuted the way, right? We learned about that, to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. He says later in 1 Corinthians, I persecuted the church of God. In Galatians, he says, and violently tried to destroy it. Philippians 3, he says, and with zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. In 1 Timothy 1, he says, I was a blasphemer, an insolent opponent. Saul was an absolute terrorist. He hated Christians, and he hated the church. By the way, there's still persecution in the world today. In a recent article, it says that 13 people are killed every day because of their faith in Jesus. And there are some, some of the most dangerous places in the world they say to be a Christian today would include places like Pakistan or Nigeria. Last year alone, 3,500 people were killed for their faith just in Nigeria, Mozambique, Cameroon, India, Mali, South Sudan, Ethiopia. Which, by the way, I think that we need to pray for our persecutors and the Sauls of this world. So, let's keep reading and see what is about to happen to Saul. Are you all ready for this? Okay. All right. So, it says in verse 3, it says, Now, as Saul went on his way, he was approaching Damascus. And suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he responds, Who are you, Lord? And he, the voice, said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, as you could imagine, hearing the voice, but they didn't actually see anyone. What a fantastic moment we have right here in Scripture. Saul is on his way to persecute Christians, and suddenly from heaven, the Lord just appears to him. I mean, can you imagine? This was a personal revelation from Jesus Christ himself, by the way. Do you remember the last time we saw Jesus in Scripture? Do you remember in the book of Acts when it says that Jesus, like, floated up into the clouds and they watched him disappear? And then we know that he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. But wait a minute. It says that he comes back and makes an appearance to Saul. He confronts Saul on his way to Damascus, and I think Jesus has another plan for him. So this flash of light, you know, sometimes in Scripture we see, you know, light associated with God's glory and God's presence. And this voice was also a divine revelation. I think that Saul knew it was a heavenly figure, but I don't know that he knew who it was because he said, who are you, Lord? 
Now, in my translation, in the ESV, the, the, the L for Lord is capitalized. But in other translations, it's not capitalized. So there's some discrepancy there. Maybe it was a greeting like, sir. Like, who are you, sir? Look at him trying to use etiquette. I mean, you know. Um, so we don't, we don't know for sure. But because he asked the question, I'm thinking, I don't think he really knew who it was. But listen to how Jesus responds. He responds with such clarity. He says, I am Jesus. And you are persecuting me. So you see, Saul thought he was persecuting people, but he was actually persecuting the risen Savior. And what a revelation this probably was to him. And I love that Jesus just straight up called him out for it. So remember, when people in the world are rejecting Christians or they're rejecting you, they're actually rejecting Jesus. And then it says immediately the Lord gives Saul direction. He told him, get up and go. Rise and enter the city. So here in this particular verse, we see that Jesus gives Saul a new attitude and a new purpose by calling him out and telling him to go. So Saul started out hunting Christians, but I believe that Christ was actually hunting him. Christ was after him. So listen, the Lord Jesus met Saul right where he was at in the middle of his destructive lifestyle. This is obviously an amazing encounter, and I don't know that we're all going to experience something like this, but I do think God has a way of getting our attention. Have you ever had a time in your life where the Lord really shook you, where he just, he showed you something, he spoke through a person, he's, he spoke through, I'm, I think mostly God speaks to us through his word, amen? This was a life-changing moment for Saul. So in verse 8, it goes on. It says that Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. So we see here that immediately Saul obeys the Lord. And we know that because it says Saul rose from the ground. Remember the Lord said, go? And then he did. He rose from the ground and he went. Now, Saul tells us later that this event occurred at noon. So you can imagine how bright this light was if the sun was already shining. And there are other places in Scripture where we see that the Lord's brightness, I mean, his glory is so much brighter than the sun. Anything I think we can imagine here on this planet. But did you notice that even once he opened his eyes, it says he was still couldn't see. So I think for any of us, if there was a bright light, suddenly, you know, we would probably, you know, shield ourselves, cover our eyes. And then when the event was over, he opened his eyes, but then he realized he couldn't see. So now he's blind. And then his first response after meeting Jesus, it says that he fasted food and, and he fasted food and drink for three days, which fasting is a posture of prayer. As we know here at LifePoint, we do our 21 days of prayer and fasting in January. And I think that's so cool that his first response after salvation was to actually spend time with the Lord in fasting and prayer. So here's God. He's calling Saul to a new life. And I think that if we truly meet the Lord, our life should also change. How could Saul stay the same after meeting Jesus? Especially after having a face-to-face conversation. I mean, it's not like the Lord sent a representative like an angel. I mean, it was Jesus himself having a conversation with him. I mean, that's pretty amazing. So we see here from this conversion story that God loves all people, even his worst enemies. God loves even the current Saul's of the world. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made or how bad of a life you've lived, God's love for you is so much greater than all of your terrible past you may have. And some of you have even wrestled with the fact, like, can God even forgive me? But I'm here to tell you that he can. And he wants to forgive you and change your life. And God wants to use you today. 
Now, even some of us, now listen to this. This might step on some toes here. Some of us struggle who we think God can and can't save. But if we have a heart like Jesus, he's going to give us a compassion for other people, even others that have hurt us. Who's the worst of the worst that you know? Could God even save the one who stole from you? Could God save the one maybe who, who lied to you or lied about you? Or maybe the one that even abused you? Will you believe God for their salvation? You see, I have a friend whose mom was killed by a reckless 14-year-old driver. Stole a vehicle, and she was killed in a hit and run instantly. Gone. And you know what my friend said this past week? She was praying for him, which, by the way, I don't know that I could do that. She was praying for him. And listen to her prayer. These are her words. She was praying for this young man. I pray that this young man would experience God's love and God's presence and believe that he would give his life to Christ and be changed forever. How can she pray that? How can she even think that? But I think it's because she recognizes, she knows that God provided salvation for her and that he can provide salvation for this young man who actually doesn't deserve it, but neither did we. Salvation is for all of us, even the worst of the worst. You're not too far gone, and no one is beyond the reach of God's salvation. If there's still breath in your body, Christ's forgiveness and salvation is still available to you today. Can someone say amen today? So we see that God changes Saul and gets a hold of his life. Now, let me tell you about another guy in the story who the Lord changed as well. So the second point is when God changes others, God uses us. He uses Christians. He uses believers. So let's pick it up in verse 10. It says, now there was a disciple. Okay, it might seem like there's a whole other story happening. They connect, so just hang on. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come together. There was a disciple at Damascus, because that's where Saul was headed, named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he says, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to Ananias, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Um, that's you I'm talking to, Ananias. And you're going to come in, and you're going to lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Okay. <laughs> so I love the fact that Ananias, first of all, is a believer just like you and me. That's what it says. He was a disciple, right? You and I are disciples of Jesus. We're he wasn't a super saint, apostle guy. I mean, he's just regular like you and me, and God appeared to him. And did you notice the response that he gives when the Lord calls on him? He says, here I am, Lord. It's almost like he was listening. Hello? He's listening to the Lord, right? The sheep know the shepherd's voice, and he made himself available going, all right, Lord, here I am. What do you need? What's up, God? And so the Lord, I love this part, gives him very specific instructions. Okay, if God is going to speak to you, wouldn't you like him to do it like this? Very strategic. He says, okay, Ananias, I need you to go to Judas's house, and he lives on Straight Street, and the guy you're looking for is a guy from Tarsus, and his name is Saul. I mean, if the Lord's going to talk to me, Lord, let it be that clear. You know, sometimes we're like trying to discern God's will for our life. Do I take this job? Do I go to this college? Should I put my house on the market yet? What should we list it? You know, like all these, Lord, just list it out for me. God may not be that specific, but I do believe that God still speaks us to, to us today. I think he can do it in any way he wants. He is God after all. But I do think the primary way, like we said earlier, is through the scripture. I think God can confirm it through people. I think he can speak through dreams. God can do whatever he wants. 
But if he's speaking, I think that we should be listening. So all is going well with Ananias, right? So listen to Ananias' response in verse 13. Ananias says, uh, Lord, um, I've heard from many about this man, Saul, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here now he has authority from the chief priests. He's come to Damascus where we are. And he has authority to bind all who call on your name. Uh, he's saying, God, don't you know who this guy is? He's terrorized Christians everywhere, and he's even, he has the legal right to do it. And you're telling me to go to him? I mean, okay, Ananias was probably excited at first that he got a vision. You know, so as Christianity is spreading and they're hearing people like say, oh, I heard from the Lord today, and the Lord spoke to me today. I mean, that's pretty fascinating, like supernatural experience. So I'm sure he was sitting there like, yes, Lord, here I am. And he was super excited until he got the assignment. And he's like, now, wait a minute, God. I don't know about this guy. And how many of us are excited? We go, God, I want to do great things for you, Jesus. I mean, I've said that. How many of us in here? We want to do great things for God until he gives us the assignment and we don't want to do it. And we go, not that, Lord. No, 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 no. I was talking about something fun in Hawaii. Like, I want to go there, right? I mean, Hawaii, they need missionaries in Hawaii, right? I mean, in some of the most beautiful places. They need a pastor there, right? I mean, you know. But so many of us want to do great things for God until he asks us to do something, and then he's going to ask us to step out of our comfort zone. And that's exactly what he was doing with Ananias. Now, I might be being a little hard on Ananias. We could be human with him just for a moment. I mean, Saul was a pretty bad dude. I mean, he'd taken out a lot of people. And I mean, I'd probably be scared for my life, honestly. I think some of you trained soldiers would be like, I got this, you know, I just won't turn my back. You know, if something goes south, I can handle myself. But I'd be going, are you sure, Lord? Is this the right place? So Ananias knew what Saul was capable of. He knew he, who he had taken out probably. Maybe he even had friends or a family member who he had killed. I mean, that's personal. That's different when it's somebody you know. So to accept this mission, this might sound kind of tough, but to accept this mission might be like you going to pray for ISIS. And some of you hearing this message have actually looked in the eyes of Saul's in this world who literally hunt down people. But I think Ananias was probably rightfully concerned for his safety and the safety of others. But maybe he struggled to think, could even Saul give his life to Jesus? Are you sure? I don't know about him. But truly, who are we to say who God can and can't save? So are we going to obey God even when we have to step out of our comfort zone? Maybe even out of our safety zone. I mean, it might feel costly or risky or even dangerous. Maybe we're afraid and that's just our excuse. Or maybe you think that person's not worth it. Not them. You don't know what they've done. But they are worth it because God says they're worth it. So if you felt led, obey even if you're scared. Do it. Afraid. Step out. May we have the courage to say yes. So the Lord replies to Ananias, you know, his concerns. And in verse 15, the Lord replies back to Ananias and says, Go, second time he's told him, he's going to give him a little insight here about Saul. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before three groups of people here, the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. That means like the Jewish people. No pressure, Saul. That's pretty much everybody, Jews, Gentiles, and kings, all right? For I will show him how much he's going to suffer for the sake of my name. So basically, the Lord gives Ananias some insight about Saul, which I think is pretty cool. I don't know that God's going to do that every time you ask him something, like give you the details of what's happening, but he did there. Basically, though, I think the Lord is saying, don't worry about Saul. 
I have Saul's life figured out. I have his future figured out. You just obey me. Don't worry about who God is asking you to reach out to. Just obey. God is going to give you the strength and the courage to reach out to the people that the Lord puts in your path. We don't need to see everything, all the details of where it's headed and how it's going. But we need to trust and obey that the Lord has the right next step for us. So right now, I just want to pause for a second. I want you to think of that person who doesn't serve Jesus or you think, man, that person would never, I mean, never in a million years step foot in a church or get a Bible or ask who God is. Maybe a God hater. All you have to do is get on the internet just for a minute. We'll find plenty. <laughs> but, but you know what? There's a reason you're thinking of somebody right now because you know them and God's put them in your circle. So here's my challenge to you this week. Maybe even for the next week, pray for them. Write their name down. Put, them, put their name on a note or if you're taking notes today and say, God, would you change their heart? Would you change their life? And then pray. I know this is crazy that God might even give you an opportunity to go speak to that person about Jesus. Maybe you could even share what God's done in your heart to them. I mean, maybe just, maybe God's so good. Sometimes I think people have a hard exterior, but they're searching on the inside. They might have a front, you know, what they type online or the way they confront you or even family, sometimes it's hard. But I think people are hungry. We're all searching in this life for something. So don't say no for somebody else. Mike said that a couple of weeks. Don't put a no in front of somebody because you're scared. Let God use you. If he's put that person on your heart, say yes and step out this week because God wants the church that that's us to be a part of changing lives. And when we do this, here's the third point. Obedience brings life change. So let's finish in verse 17. It says, Ananias departed and entered the house. So he went for it. And laying his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. So look, Ananias obeyed God. He overcame his fear. I mean, who knows? He was probably a little nervous, but he went and he did it. And did you notice how he greeted Saul? Look at your Bible. What's the word that he used there? He called him Brother Saul. So that's familial language, brother, sister, right? That's what we call Christians sometimes, brother in the Lord, sisters in the Lord. And I think that was his way of choosing to trust God to welcome him into the family of God. So here at LifePoint Church, listen, we welcome people into the family of God. We don't need their whole story. We don't need all the particulars. We don't need to know all their life details. But we just need to welcome them because we do that part. We welcome and God does the changing, right? We love people like family here. And it says that he laid hands on him and he received healing and the Holy Spirit. And, and it says that something like scales fell from his eyes. We don't know what that was. I don't know that Luke knew. I mean, it was something miraculous that fell. And it was Pastor Jordan in our sermon prep meeting that said that Saul's eyes received sight, but his soul received vision that day. And then Pastor Jordan and Austin P. would also say, come on, somebody. Anybody? No. Okay. Never mind. I just thought that was funny. And then Saul was baptized by Ananias, which was a disciple, by the way. Ananias baptized him. I mean, that's a pretty cool thing to put down in your diary. I baptized Saul, who we know later who he becomes. It's pretty cool. And finally, he ate after fasting and praying for three days, so he broke his fast. So today we have seen Saul, who had an extraordinary encounter with Jesus, 
But we also saw, sometimes that story is so magnificent, we forget the next part about Ananias, who had to step out in great faith, knowing who Saul was and what he had done. Both Ananias and Saul received visions from the Lord. Did you catch that? God spoke to both of them. And he told both of them, get up and go. So I'm telling you, if we will obey God, he is still changing lives. Whether you're like Saul or Ananias, God is going to use us to be a part of this. Hey, by the way, did you know that dreams and visions, sometimes we read in here and think, oh, this is so fantastic. This only happens in Bible times. It still happens today. In fact, it's not uncommon for many Muslims to have a dream of Jesus. I don't know if you've heard of this, but it says some stats say that 25% of Muslims convert to Christianity because of a dream. In fact, listen to this story. A few years ago, there was a young Muslim girl walking across the campus of the largest university in her country. And the government, controlled by an extremist religious group, persecuted Christians and they supported terrorism worldwide. And this college girl had become a Christian in response to a popular film, listen, that had been smuggled into her country and shown in a secret location on her campus. This is why we pray for people around the world. You don't know. We don't hear in the news. I'm just telling you, the news does not share when people meet Jesus, right? And the church, by the way, another fact, um, the church in Iraq is growing tremendously and you'll never hear that on the news. It's the underground church. So she, she watched this film, gave her life to Jesus. After giving her heart to Jesus, she desired to share her faith with family and friends. But she knew that the cost could be her life. And one morning during her prayer time, she decided she would witness the next time God gave her an opportunity. And like Queen Esther, she said, if I perish, I perish. On the way to her first class, she became strongly impressed to share her faith with the professor. <laughs> but beyond being frightened, she had no idea what to say to him. You ever told Lord, I'll go do something? What am I going to say, God? <laughs> but being frightened, she had no idea what she was going to say to him. And she again promised the Lord her obedience, although she knew the result could be imprisonment or death. And when the class ended and all the students had left, she approached him, slowly sharing out of her heart about how Jesus had changed her life. She was amazed when he began to weep and share the account of a dream that he had experienced the night before. God had gone before her and prepared his heart. The professor told her that in his dream, he stood with a huge mass of people before the great God of the universe. And he realized that he was about to receive a sentence of eternal punishment. And in his dream, he began to run everywhere, searching frantically for Muhammad, who could save him from his punishment. Muhammad was nowhere to be found. And the professor told his student, I heard a loud voice in my dream saying, Muhammad is not real. Jesus is the true and only Savior. That moment he asked her how he could know Jesus as his Savior. And this professor became a Christian. You will never know the impact that you will have when you say yes to the Lord and you step out in obedience. You never know whose life is gonna be changed forever. You see, it might not even just be one life that's changed for eternity, but countless lives. Let me give you a spoiler alert here for a second. The Saul that we read about becomes the Apostle Paul. You see, he writes the majority of your New Testament epistles and letters that we have today on your phone, on your app, that you're holding today. Because Ananias said, yes, Lord, here I am. What is it? 
He was cautious. He was tepid. But with the Lord's courage, he stepped out and he, and he laid hands and he prayed over Saul. You see, Saul, who becomes Paul, becomes the greatest missionary this world has ever known. And God used all of his training, all of his education, his background, and his zeal. He used it for God's kingdom. What Saul had intended to use to bring down the church, God was now going to use to expand the church all over the world. You see, as Christians, we need to learn how to obey God, even when it's difficult and uncomfortable. I told Mike, don't you ever put me on this stage, ever. Don't tell God what we won't do, right? But God's plans are so much better than our plans. We think we're really great at planning our lives, but the best plan is when God changes our lives, He directs us and we are obedient. Can someone say amen today? Would you all stand with me this morning? today we see two transformations in this story Saul's life was changed instantly and Ananias had to step out of his comfort zone so we just need to ask ourselves a few questions are you antagonistic toward the gospel this morning maybe you find yourself pushing yourself away from the things of God maybe there's distance that you've created or maybe you think you're too evil you've done too much you don't know what I looked at last night. You don't know where I was. You don't know what I did. You don't know what I have done. I've made too many mistakes. But I have news for you. God's salvation is in the house today. His forgiveness is here. And he wants you to receive that today. God is after every single one on this planet. And that includes you and it includes me. Or maybe you think there are some people who are too far from God. Let's not write people off this morning. God, didn't, God doesn't write people off. In fact, he didn't write you and me off. So let's pray for our persecutors this morning. Or maybe you're Ananias in this place where the Lord is speaking you, to you to step out of your comfort zone, to do something you've never done before. You never know who you're going to impact on the other side of your yes. So I want to pray this morning. Would you all bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, thank you for this reminder in the book of Acts today that you are after all people, Lord. Even the most destructive, hateful people on this planet, God, you love with everything that's within you. In fact, you sent your son Jesus for that very person. And I thank you, Lord, that those of us in this place who feel like I've done too much, you don't know. Listen, God knows. God knows your story. God knows what's happened. God knows what you've done. And he loves you and he's waiting with open arms for you to receive all that he has for you this morning. If that's you in this place and you would say, I need to receive Christ. I want to make him the Lord of my life. I want to stop being the Lord of my life and I need to make him. He needs to be the one in charge. And you would say, I need to make that commitment or recommitment today. Would you just raise your hand in this place and I want to pray for you. If that's you today and you say, I need to make Jesus, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Would you just pray with me? In fact, all of us, we're going to join in together and you can repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I need you. I receive your salvation today. I receive your love. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Thank you for dying for me and for resurrecting 
I believe that you are the one true God. And I give my life to you. And in return, I receive all that you have for me. And I receive that salvation today. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Maybe you're the Ananias in the crowd today and you say, I want to do great things for God, but I need courage. I need some encouragement today. I want to say, yes, Lord, here I am. If that's you, would you just raise your hands to the Lord right now and say, God, use me. If that's you, yep, raise them up all over this place. And you say, I want to be used by the Lord. I want to be used by the Lord. Let me just pray over all of us right now. God, thank you. God, that all of us in this place may say, here I am, Lord. Give us the courage to step out and to do what we've not done before. God, give us the boldness, God, to share your name where it even may cost us. Lord, I thank you that you would equip us. God, you will give us the words to say in the right moment. So Lord, just as a church, we say, here we are. In fact, would you just repeat that after me? Say, here I am, Lord. Say it again, here I am, Lord. One more time, here I am, Lord. Use me. Thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you for everything you've done in this service, Lord, today. And in each one of these services and every single person that has prayed these prayers this morning, God, I believe that you are changing us and you are going to use us, God, to make a mighty difference for your kingdom today. And we thank you for it. We give you all the praise and glory. And everybody said in this place, amen and amen. Can we give God some glory today?